0: I don't know to
1: As you're probably aware, you are listening to the Caught Red-Handed Podcast. Welcome. We're in the double digits now. This is episode 10. In this episode, I had a little chat with another of the East Coast Hannah Posse, Nev Levin, aka Remarkable Blackbird. We laughed, we cried, we contemplated the universe, and we even debated whether anything is really real. It was, um, it was really awesome here on the east coast speaking of the east coast henna posse, we have what is called seasons we have four of them we are currently in fall right now and it's one of those gorgeous gorgeous east coast fall days where the sun is shining and there are little fluffy clouds and it's a little chilly but not too chilly and the leaves are turning and rustling in the streets it's just mm, glorious this is also a slow season for most of us here on the east coast and a lot of us talk about what we do in the off season and for me i'm working on my marketing getting stuff set up for more business next year and i'm also working really hard on improving my skills i want to get better at working with cones and also i want to improve my bridal designs i'm sure you've heard me talk about wanting to clean up my lines and also improve the symmetry especially um the mirroring of designs from one hand to the other so i'm practicing a, a lot with that and following debbie's advice about drawing every day and i'm also getting models who will sit still for me and then let me practice these new designs on them i'm also working a lot on the podcast i'm lining up a lot of new interviews and you'll hear more about that as time goes on i have a lot of henna party type events at my house lined up for the next couple months so Part of my winter prep is going to be getting my house ready for a lot of guests to come by. It's okay uh, to live here, but maybe not so great for guests, so i got to do some work here. So one of the things that came up in one of my Facebook group discussions, um, it seems like there are a lot of pro-henna artists who have social anxiety. Not necessarily on the level of a disorder, but definitely above average levels of shyness. And maybe that's a common thing among artists, or maybe it's just henna artists, I don't know. Um, I always thought that I had a very high level of social anxiety, but now that I hear other people's stories, I don't feel quite so bad. And also I think I've worked on it, and I think henna has helped me with it. Then the discussion is henna as therapy, henna as coping mechanism for this social anxiety. And a lot of ideas came up in this discussion and also just in my head about this, based on my own struggles to deal with shyness. I realized that it's very easy to be at parties as a henna artist and feel like I belong. So that kind of helps rewire something in my brain that makes me feel less anxiety at parties. Um, Of course, I'm there as the hired hand, but I am kind of like a special guest. And so there's a little bit more attention on me than I'm used to, but I'm learning to deal with that by using henna. And I feel like henning at parties can help you with your issues and kind of give you a safe space to practice so that if you do go to a party where you don't know anybody and you're there as a guest, not as a henna artist, maybe you can use some of the skills that you, you practice while doing henna at parties to get through that social situation. Also, I noticed that when you have henna on you, it starts all sorts of conversations with strangers, conversations that you might be too shy to start yourself. And what I learned from those situations is seeing the person talk to me and seeing how they're able to approach me. And, um, and then hopefully, well, I do think I'm learning from that. I'm learning how to approach other people. Um, I'm not a very touchy feely person naturally. So Henna has really helped me get over that because I really have to touch people. I can say in my mind, Oh, this is my job. I have to touch people. I still don't think I'm that touchy-feely, but I think I have a lot less anxiety about it. I'm a lot less nervous about those kinds of situations. I started a new job about two years ago, and it's a job that requires a lot more contact than I had at my previous job. I do software training, support, and outreach, and I feel like my work as a henna artist has really helped me build those social skills that help me with my current job, so... Thanks Hannah. So skills learned from doing Hannah. Let's talk about that. So one of the biggest things I think is the ability to answer silly questions or even stupid questions politely and Nev and I talk about that a little bit in this podcast and you're there as a, a kind of special guest but you're also there as hired help so you do have to be polite. You have to be diplomatic um, but you but a lot of the questions require us to correct misinformation or deal with kind of stupid questions. Is that real? Uh, I have a real tattoo, et cetera. And I feel like Henna has has taught me different ways to cope with those kinds of questions. It's also helped me be more engaged with strangers and ask questions of strangers. So maybe that's helped me with the podcast too, especially now that I'm talking to more people who I don't know personally and that's helped me in other areas in my life as well learning to talk to strangers how to get them engaged in a conversation and then also as a henna artist when you're henning someone i i've learned how to ask questions to get my client to talk a lot and and that's for purely selfish reasons because when they're talking they're usually more still unless they are very expressive with their hands when they talk but um and they're also not asking me questions. I find it hard to talk and answer their questions while I'm henning, so I like to ask them questions that get them to open up and to be more expansive. And I learn a lot from them, and um, and it's also a really good mechanism for getting along with people. On the subject of them sitting still, I've also learned how to ask people to sit still for me. I used to get very annoyed and kind of bottle up that annoyance and then sometimes snap at my client. And now I'm learning to just do it. I'm learning to do that with a little bit more humor and gentleness and politeness. And I also have learned to talk to my clients about what kind of design they want and kind of tease it out. For those of you who don't know, I don't bring books to gigs. So, um, I don't have people picking out of books, I just find it a waste of time. Most of them are really happy to just have me make something up for them, but it does, it does take a minute or two to talk to them about what they might want. So I've learned how to ask those questions and that's helped me in my job because I have to help people with software, people who are not knowledgeable about software and just want to get their work done. So I, I've used a lot of those skills in my job to help me, um, support the people that I train. So thank you, Hannah. again. Some of these things are part of the conversation that I had with Nev. Uh, I have been keeping an eye on Nev's work for years. I really love her work, and I'm always so happy to see it. It's very inspiring. So it was really great to finally sit down and talk to her. I've met her before, and we had a very brief conversation, but um, this is the first time I really sat down and had a nice long chat with her. It was really fun. I think I have exhausted my list of henna artists who I know personally, and I, pretty soon I'm going to have to start interviewing people I don't really know at all. So, um, just hoping that all these social skills that I've been talking about that I've learned from henna will carry me through. Every single person I interview gives me a long list of people that they would like me to interview. So, I think my work is really cut out for me for a good long time. But um, I'm looking forward to it, it should be really interesting. I've got so many great names this podcast i think i feel like sometimes that i do it just for selfish reasons because i love having these conversations with artists i love talking about the creative process and inspiration and sitting down to work i'm sure you'll hear that as a theme in all of my episodes i hope you guys are getting something out of it if not um This podcast is totally worth it for what I get out of it. So, uh, I hope you enjoy it, and let's get right into my interview with Nev. Thanks a lot. So you go by Nev, right? I do. And your first name is Genevieve.
2: My first name is Genevieve. Yeah.
1: Just wondering how you pronounce it. So I pronounce
2: uh, Genevieve, but I don't. I have like no feeling about how my name is pronounced. So people call me all different pronunciations i'm pretty fine with it oh
1: that's cool yeah. i'm kind of particular about it because people strangely enough mispronounce lisa so do they really yeah a lot of people that's call, funny a lot of people from like north africa and south america call me lisa so yeah no. um anyway
2: <laughs> well, i don't like like jezebel or something like that I'm like, <laughs>
1: yeah so that's a little bit too far off the track <laughs>
2: But like if someone says Genevieve Geneviève or something, that just sounds so romantic. Yeah. So go for I that. don't mind this one.
1: <laughs> yeah. Just just go around and tell people that's how your name really is pronounced. Yes.
2: Oh, it was named after Genevieve Boujol, so it is a French. It they did my parents did decide to name me after someone French. Oh,
1: that's cool. And who is she?
2: Um, she was an actress in the nineteen sixties. Uh she did a movie called The King of Hearts.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Really interesting movie. She was semi-quasi-famous for a little while.
1: Yeah, I've heard the name before. I just never knew what she was famous for.
2: Yeah. That's so funny.
1: (laughs) And um, what did your parents do when you were growing up?
2: Uh, My parents were hippies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They were professional hippies? (laughs) They were professional hippies. (laughs) That's cool. What (laughs) kind of hippies?
2: (laughs) Oh, the back to the landers, you know, uh, the the kind that ran around naked and <laughs> <She didn't laughs> probably say too much more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's plenty right there. <laughs> uh, you know,
2: artists. Um, my mother is a really wonderful illustrator and knitter and she, um, she really should have, her job should have been writing children's books, but, oh, cool. um, she's a great writer as well. Um, And my dad is now currently a stone carver. He does precious stones, semi-precious stones, mostly like um, opals. And he's been showing in a lot of different gem museums. He's sort of like, you know, sort of like the henna artist. It's like he's a rock star in his one little weird subset. Right. Yeah. You know.
1: And um, are they still hippies?
2: Uh, are they still hippies? I don't know. I think they're more mainstream than, well, they're quite a bit more mainstream than they were.
1: Oh, okay. That's
2: yeah. interesting. <clears throat> yeah. I think, they, you know, life has a way of sort of making you do things so that you can earn money. My dad is a writer yeah. as well, and he was an English professor for years.
1: I think also when you have kids, it kind of puts some focus in how you live your life and
2: I don't know. Yeah, I don't know because I don't have kids, but I would imagine that's true. They ha- they have been not together since I was two. Oh wow! <laughs> so yeah, my life, my my history life is is kind of fascinating to me. I'm not quite sure how I managed to have life I do, but
1: <laughs> would you call yourself a hippie? No,
2: <laughs> that's the definition. Um, no, I mean, I really appreciate nature and I love going you know outdoors, mm-hmm. but the whole like hippie lifestyle kind of thing, like I like structure way more, you know I like knowing what's coming and right. not you know as much as I just go off and do things at a whim i I would much prefer to sort of have some stability and
1: then be spontaneous within that.
2: Yeah. yeah. I used to travel around with the den and be a total hippie. Wow. So that's why I'm like, no, I'm definitely not now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you have some contrast. You have a, a, some perspective on what it means to be a hippie and what it means to not be a hippie or be less of a hippie.
2: I consider myself a traveler.
1: Oh, that's cool. And you tra- I was just looking at your website today to just uh, mine a little bit more information about you. And I noticed that you travel to a lot of places places in the northeast for your for festivals and stuff is that part of your nomadic spirit it is
2: yeah i um i mean a lot of it is necessity maine is a large state with few people and it's new england so it tends to be a little bit more um conservative in a lot of in certain ways like i think it's less conservative in some ways than like well, it's way less conservative than, say, the Midwest. I lived in Minnesota
3: mm-hmm.
2: when mm-hmm. I went to college out there, and that's way, way, way more conservative in certain ways. But it's still, you know, there's not just piles and piles and piles of shows that are in Maine. Oh, okay. And I also kind of the, – the thing about Maine is I can travel to a show in Maine and it's eight hours <laughs> if wow. I stay in Maine versus – 5 hours if i go to connecticut. Wow. So, wow. you know, whoever decided to put the boundaries on states, like it, it's not logical, yeah, you know, make like such a long state.
1: Did you grow up in Maine?
2: No, i grew up in boston.
1: Oh, okay. But yeah, still up- like the northeast is is yeah. your home.
2: Yeah, new england is definitely my home.
1: And why did you choose port you're in portland, right? I am. Why did you choose portland?
2: Um, I transferred here from college. I was going to college at Minneapolis College of Art and Design, and it was too far away. I didn't like being so far away from family. And I was looking around for other colleges that had a good art program. And um, Maine College of Art had a really good program. They have a two-year foundation, which I really liked. Um, The college that I had been at was really, like, a little too esoteric it was, you know, they were like trying to delve into your psyche to figure out why you were using the color blue in your paintings, and so I just a little too
1: like, hippie. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Back to that again. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I just I wanted to be at a college that was teaching me how to do things,
1: right? Right, the technical and, skills. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: I figured I could, you know, delve into my own psyche later. Yeah, get the basics down, and then exactly and then do the delving. <laughs> So, and then I just decided that I wanted to live here permanently um, because I had moved around so much in my life and I really wanted to commit to living somewhere for 10 years and keeping friends. And so I did. And now I just love it. It's just really home.
1: And how many years in are you now?
2: I moved here in 1991. Oh. (laughs) That's going to date me.
1: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So... I was surprised that to learn that you used to be a potter and that was your art.
2: It was, that's what I went, ended up finally majoring. in. I majored in just about everything. But, um, I think as a couple other people have said, like, it's really more about the medium. I mean, it's really more about making the art than it is about the, what medium you're using. Yeah. Yeah, The the Um,
1: structure of doing a thing, an artistic thing.
2: Right. So, yeah, I loved pottery. I I find a lot of um, conjunctions with pottery and henna.
1: That's what I was going to ask you is how does, how does, what's the, yeah, go ahead. Tell me about the conjunctions.
2: I don't even know if that's the right word, but.
1: uh, (laughs) I don't know. Let's go with it. It sounds good to me.
2: I like to make up words all the time. (laughs) I have a bunch of like totally made up words um <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's fine because i think it means i think it means what you're trying to say so we understand each other
2: as long as we understand yeah <laughs> um well i mean they're both natural materials they're both something that is part of you know that we're taking something from the earth that creates something and they both move very fluidly um hmm you know, clay, my favorite part about uh, pottery was always throwing. So I was really always a wheel girl. I just would be on the wheel all day long. And it's just like sort of mesmerizing the same way that henna is, just sort of watching the clay grow. Yeah. And yes. You know, it's very similar to watching a pattern on the skin grow. I always sort of feel like I'm outside of that, and it's just sort of doing it somehow on its own. Oh, I'm like, God. oh, wow, look at that thing coming out, you know? yeah. <laughs>
1: Are there is there anything technical from pottery that that carries over into your henna work?
2: Um well, I always used to do a lot of carving and a lot of slip work, which was like putting things on the surface with yeah. uh, it, if I had had more henna skills, I would have done what Bridget Bartlett's doing right now because, you know, doing slip work on on earthenware or on Um, stoneware was always something that I wanted to do, but I couldn't get it to work the way that I wanted it to work. Um, So...
1: Can you you describe what Bridget's doing? I just saw one of her pieces like two days ago.
2: Yeah, so she's taking slip, which is basically a watered-down version of clay with some Mm -hmm. pigments added to it. Mm -hmm. And she... I, I don't know if she's using pigments. It looks like she's mostly doing white, but she's doing a pattern on the surface of the clay when, after it's been, um, well, before it's been fired for the first time and then they fire it for the first time of bisque firing and then they glaze it. And then the pattern stays like sort of embedded on top of this pot. And it's, you know, sort of always what I was trying to figure out although but I was doing it with carving because I wanted the pattern in there.
1: Yeah. You wanted like that 3d
2: feel. Yeah, but the slip was very hard to manage. And if I had known about henna cones, I would have just stuck it in a cone. (laughs) (laughs) I never liked the decorating part of pottery. I always liked the making the pottery. And as soon as it got put into a kiln, I didn't want it anymore. And I was super, super prolific. Like I would just make and make and make. And I would end up with all of this stuff. And so... Henna is just this wonderful thing for me because I just do, I make stuff constantly. I can't not have my hands doing something. And so henna is great because it goes and walks away.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And not only does it walk away, but it fades away.
2: Exactly. (laughs) It's really nice for someone, you know, like me, who's just like, I don't want a bunch of stuff around me, but I have to create. It's like, that's yeah,
1: (laughs) that's really interesting, huh? I think most people would say that your signature style is botanical. So where does that come from? Does that come from the pottery side of you or is it from some other source?
2: No, I don't really know. Um, I mean, like I said, I've always been really connected with my natural, the natural surroundings in the world. And, you know, um, I think because my parents were hippies that you, you know, we didn't, we would just be outside almost all the time and we'd be wandering around, you know, going to the beach or we'd be going into, I, you know, going into the, far, to the forest and just my mom would talk about all of the different things that were on the forest floor. And I've always been really fascinated by nature and like how incredible the patterns are in nature. Um, you know, moss, just I could stare at moss all day.
1: I love moss, too.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You know, so I think that it's just really part of me, that sort of connection. And it's really funny because I'm a real city girl. And so it's like Portland's this great place because I get the country and the city. It's such a small city, and there's, like, these huge, beautiful parks. And, you know, so I get the best of both worlds. And it's only 10 minutes to the forest.
1: Wow, yeah. And the forests in Maine are just so primeval almost.
2: Oh, yeah. And then it's also just 10 minutes to, I mean, it's less than 10 minutes to the ocean, but it's 10 minutes to beautiful beaches, you know? So it's, I don't want to, I don't want to talk it up too much because everybody's going to move here.
1: (laughs) Until they find (laughs) out what the winters are like.
2: Well, they're not that bad.
1: (laughs) They're worse than New York. That much I know.
2: That That is definitely true. (laughs) <laughs> they, get, they get a little cold. <laughs> yeah,
1: just a little. And yeah. how does that, how does that, uh, I mean, I would assume that your henna season is similar to New York's and then the winter there's practically nothing. Is that true for you too?
2: It is. It's very dead in the winter. Although last winter I was pleasantly surprised at how many things I got. Um, But, you know, that's like, I'm happy if I get one a week, you know. Yeah. It's. It was like, I mean, that's a lot. If I get one a week in the winter, Um, mostly it's like, oh, I got one this month. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know what
1: you mean. Definitely. So, on a very practical, or I don't know, not practical, but um, how how did you go from pottery to henna? What got you into henna?
2: Um. Well, I was. This such a boring story. Um. I was majoring in ceramics. I was doing my senior thesis on the tea ceremony. I was studying the tea ceremonies from all over the world, but mostly um, looking at the Japanese tea ceremony more than anything else. Um, but countries, you know, like India and Africa and England, you know, we they all have their own sort of ceremony around tea, and it was very cool. And then a friend of mine invited me over to her house for her birthday party. And I walked in and everybody was just on the ground putting this stuff on each other. And she's like, I got some henna. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I don't know what that is. And I was like, but I'm always willing to try something new. So I started hennaing people. And that was pretty much the first time that I'd ever heard of it, really. Um, How long ago was that? That was like in 1997. Oh, wow. But I never, I didn't do anything with it. I sort of picked it up and I, for a little while, I was like, wow, this is really cool. But I was in the middle of doing this huge thesis. So I didn't have any time to really, you know, look at something else. And I totally forgot about it for years until I met this young woman who was like, I remember you gave me a henna. And I was like, I did. And that was sort of like, oh, I should check this stuff out again. And that was probably in like three. And then I started just getting completely obsessed with it. And I would put ketchup into columns and just do page after page after page of designs. And they would cover the floors and the tables. Wow. And I started to get really annoyed at pottery because of the chemicals and the dust. And I just really wanted to do something different.
1: Did you feel like you had kind of spent yourself on, in terms of pottery or was it just an annoyance with the material?
2: I have this habit of picking up a a new material or a new art form and just like diving headlong into it and learning Mm -hmm. everything I can possibly possibly learn about it and then getting really bored with it and moving on and I've done that with probably 20 different 30 different things but pots and henna have lasted the the longest oh interesting and you know I would still love to throw some pots but I would probably squish them because I don't I don't want to go through the firing process (laughs) (laughs) interesting yeah I mean, it's just, I I really love that you can just create for the pure enjoyment of creating. And I think that that is something that actually more than anything sort of guides me is that, you know, if everybody does what they love and they're happy, the world's going to be a heck of a lot better place to be in.
1: Definitely.
2: You know, so when I start to feel like selfish for having such a wonderful life, I'm like, no, I'm just sort of saying you can do this, too.
1: Yeah. And do you teach other henna artists?
2: Well, at conferences. Uh, You don't teach
1: there in Maine at all?
2: You know, it's one of those hard things. I get a lot of requests for it. um, And I never know what to do.
1: In what sense?
2: Well, I mean, you you don't want to like be training competition, you know. But at the same time, it's just really a nice. I love teaching.
3: Yeah,
2: um, I taught I taught pottery for years, and I I loved teaching. Um, so I don't know. I really, yeah. So far, I haven't, but I haven't ruled it out, and I would definitely teach somewhere else if. Somebody wanted me to go somewhere.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) And what is, what's the percentage, the rough percentage breakdown of that kind of work you do, like, um, in terms of, you know, the gigs that you get?
2: The style of kinds Uh, of
1: things I do? Oh, no, the kinds of gigs you get, like
2: like bellies or no
1: no more like you know how much of your work is from private appointments how much of your work is bridal how much is festivals how much is parties that kind of thing
2: um well festivals I would say is probably 70 percent wow yeah (laughs) I mean I do a festival every single weekend in the on season
1: wow that's amazing
2: It's exhausting. Yeah, it's I'm I'm a little burnt on it. I would like to do less festivals and uh, more private sessions. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
2: And then I would say you know twenty percent is private sessions, whether it be belly henna or working with people who are going through some medical difficulty or you, you know ha- or recovering from cancer. Um, and then probably ten percent is bridal. Oh, I good. mean, well, there's party. Uh, there's parties in there too. Yeah, it changes so much. You know, it's like if I look at last year, it's so different from three years ago. I used to do a lot more parties, and the parties have sort of changed over to more private sessions. Yeah,
1: that's how my business has been too. And I maybe because I'm encouraging that because I charge less for privates, for private oh, appointments. Sorry, I always just call them privates, but I realize I, that doesn't go over <laughs> very well. <laughs> I charge less for privates.
2: Yes, well, I don't know. I think you should charge more for privates. Yeah, you're
1: right. You're right. Yeah. I'll have to rethink that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm like underhanded and go behind people's back and oh, ask <laughs> ask them to for dirt about you. And I didn't really get any dirt on you, but um, I did
2: get some... Oh, vi- you didn't look hard enough.
1: I know. I know. <laughs> i was gonna see if i could get your police record but uh apparently your juvie record is sealed so uh, i regret that um
2: but rebecca things i just never got caught
1: oh okay (laughs) so maybe it was just sealed just to keep people curious that's (laughs) right um but rebecca asked me and this just um reminded me of it when you were saying that 70 percent of your work is festival she's she's wanted me to ask you how you take care of yourself and how you stay fresh working so many festivals. And then also what, what do you do when you get burnt out and it's just halfway through the summer? Yeah. Do you have a ritual for taking care of yourself? Well,
2: I mean, um, I don't know if I have a ritual. I, I work my hardest while I'm there and I try to give a hundred percent to the people who are coming in, whether it be a little $5 mini design or somebody comes in and plunks down $70 and says, do what you want. Um, I really try to tailor my festivals so that I'm having fun at them. Uh, I don't do a festival unless it's going to be enjoyable. I mean, I, I actually, last year I gave up, a. Uh, festival that made me some of the best money that I make because it was miserable and I was not enjoying any of it. Um, so I really do try to go to places where there's good people to me and there's good energy coming towards me. I think I have a really fantastic set of booth babes and that helps a great deal. You know, having somebody who's doing the hardest part of the job, like I'm just sitting back there doing henna. Yeah. They're the ones who have to talk to people and answer the same repetitive questions. True. Um, I think, you know, I really work hard when I'm there and then I really play hard when I'm not. I and I, and I eat incredibly well and I rest <laughs> a lot and I dance and I do yoga. Um, I have really tight friendships with people that nourish me a lot. Um,
1: so do you get burned out?
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um I get burned out over parts of it. I get burned out over the dumb like the dumb questions and the uh, I got a real tattoo. You know, the right. sort of like middle America kind of stuff burns me out. Yeah. But then you get the person who comes back and they sit down and they're like, I get a henna from you every year. And, you know, I look up in their face and it's like, oh, my word, this person has grown so much. Right. You know, and that part makes it really worth it. And people who... You know, they get a five dollar henna and then one year and then they save all their money and they're able to get a twenty dollar henna. And then years from then they come back and they're just like they or they make a private session or they have me there for their wedding. Or you know, I think like all of us, you know, we we find the places that really make it worth doing it. And I think the biggest thing is that I am grateful. I'm just exceedingly grateful that I get to have this life, (laughs) you know? So when I start to get burnout, I just go, really? Like you could be in an office building with fluorescent lights and mean coworkers doing a job you don't love with a bad boss who's yelling at you and not appreciating what you do. But instead you're sitting outside with people who are showering you with praise. Like, come on, don't get down on yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And you're getting
1: paid for it.
2: for it
1: that's so amazing
2: I never thought I would be able to make a living as an artist I always would look at people and say how can they possibly do that and now I am like that's amazing
1: is that the full source of your income
2: henna is pretty much the full source of my income I have a felted soap business Uh uh-huh I wholesale um to a lot of boutiques around the country, and then also to Whole Foods. We've got a number of accounts. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of cool because when my henna season starts to slow down, the felted soap season picks up for the holidays. Oh,
3: cool.
2: And we get a bunch of orders there. But it's not – I sort of keep that on the back burner because I don't have as much energy for it. Yeah, I yeah. could probably make that a really big business if I put energy towards it and I've thought about it. But I'd have to give up doing as much with the henna. So, nice
1: I need to, 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 to have to that.
2: Though, lives. Though. What
1: was so, that? I was saying it's just nice to have that too, just have a little bit of balance and not have all your eggs in one basket.
2: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: you know, what you said about gratitude is really, it's such an important thing in so many areas of our lives. And it's amazing how much you can change your mindset by just sitting down and thinking about what you should be grateful for.
2: Yeah. It's, it's the, it's one of the best things that you can do for your, you know, for everybody is to just stop bitching about the things that you don't have and start being grateful for what you do have. I mean, we live in one of the richest countries in the world, you know, it's like, (laughs) who am I to be, you know, upset about things. Seriously. Yeah, exactly. It's not that I don't get upset, obviously.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) I'm very fallible. But I it's just very helpful to have you know things around that allow me to remember how how rich my life is, even if it's not monetarily incredibly rich.
1: Yeah. And even then it's like you said, it's amazing that you can make your living as an artist and you know, we're pretty well-paid for artists.
2: Yeah, we are. I, you know, it's there's not a lot of artists out there that get paid that much an hour. I mean, you think of somebody who's showing some work in a gallery and they've been painting, you know, or just as another example as a potter. I mean, it would take me huge, huge, huge amounts of time to make a, you know, $12 mug. And, <laughs> you know, you can throw a whole entire load, uh, for a kiln and the kiln can go wrong and you lost everything mm-hmm. you know henna yeah. it's sort of like well it's mostly gonna work
1: yeah and even if it doesn't it's not it's not a big time investment in that piece and even a henna design that doesn't work it still works on some level
2: right it's a time investment in our education and then yeah. pass, you know yeah I, I always love it when somebody comes up to me in a henna booth and they're just like, wow, you've been doing henna all day. You must really make a lot of money. <laughs> I'm sort of looking at them going, yeah, and if you want to travel around with me, you'll see the two festivals that I had that were rained out, the one that I got put in a really <laughs> bad location, and that one time where the person thought that they never got my deposit. Yeah, this is great. You
1: know? <laughs> yeah, and the hours that you drove to get there and then the hours back.
2: Yep. Exactly. You know, nobody says it's an easy life for sure. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, challenging. And I just like that kind of challenge. I get really bored really easily.
1: So do you, what do you do to expand your henna skills? Do you like, do you try new application methods? Do you try new styles?
2: I do. I I think, you know, it's really funny that people think that I have this signature style of botanical. Um, and maybe I've moved into that a little bit more. But I feel like I put sort of like everything but the kitchen sink <laughs> into think, every design I do.
1: I think your botanical style is your signature style because it's you do it so well and because it's different. But it's true looking at your stuff. There is a huge variety and you have a lot of fusion stuff, but the botanical stuff I think stands out because there aren't a lot of people who do it that well. So you're, you're a victim of your own excellence.
2: (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I sketch a lot. Uh I, I really, I have sketchbooks everywhere I get nervous about sketching like I'm like oh what if it doesn't come out well ha. and then I'm like this is really silly it's a piece of paper in a little notebook like who that cares no one will ever see I
1: know. <laughs> yes I've heard those words come through my That's... brain many times
2: <laughs> yeah but when I you know but I just yeah sketching is really helpful I get to work out different problems I would say I'm not really a natural henna artist like there are some people that just look like they just sort of get how to line things up, you know, Mm. and I find that the pieces that I'm happiest with of my own are the ones that are on big canvases. And that's basically because I don't have to pay attention to fingers or toes. Oh yeah. You know, so like I love doing bellies. I was going to say
1: that must be why you rock the bellies. And that's (laughs) like, I mean, you know, Rebecca and I are like afraid of that huge canvas and you just totally rock those bellies.
2: It's really funny, isn't it? How we all sort of have our thing that we excel at. Because yeah. It's like, I look at how Rebecca breaks down the hand and I'm like, how did she even think of that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Where did that come from? Yeah, or the, so Indian, you know, traditional. It's like, how did they decide to put that curve and that V and that like thing there, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: My like, your Moroccan work is just exquisite. I oh, love thanks. Love, love, love it.
1: <laughs> and yet, if I get a big baby belly and I want to do Moroccan, and I'm completely frozen and incapable of creating a decent design,
2: just yeah, ugh. I think we have to trick ourselves. How so? Well, <clears throat> I was having a really hard time at festivals when somebody would come up and say artist choice for a while because I was feeling really burnt out. And I was just oh, like, oh, "Okay, yeah, artist choice. I don't want to do the same thing I always do for artist choice. My choice
1: is to not do anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my we... choice is to go home.
2: Exactly. I'm going to go get a cup of tea then. Um... <laughs> but my booth babe, who is my ex-husband, or my unhusband, as I like to say. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, he was like, you know what you should do is just think about when you're working in your studio and you're working on whatever your current, you know, fun project is that you really get a lot of energy from and just pretend you're doing that. And that really helped Um, because I stopped thinking so much about what I was going to do and I just sort of put myself more in a place of where I'm happy and feel like I can create well.
1: So can you repeat that? He said, go, think back to when you're working in your studio and
2: so something. Just like, okay. So say it was a journal, you know, he said, just pretend you're doing a journal. Just look at their hand and pretend you're doing a journal. And when I'm doing a journal, I feel very relaxed because I'm in my studio and I've got all these like, um, images around me that sort of spark something. And so if, you know, if I'm, sort of feeling really relaxed, the images are going to come a lot more than if I'm sort of stressed and overdone mm-hmm. and need to pee and haven't eaten yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it really just helped because it put me into a different space. Yeah, that
1: totally makes sense.
2: You know, so it's sort of like, I don't know what you've done that is big for creative things, but whatever you've done that you've enjoyed as a creative thing, just when you go to do a belly, don't think of it as a belly. Just, you know, like I said to Rebecca, just think about it like a drumhead or like one of your beautiful lantern. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be this huge undertaking. You know, I just think I'm really fond of tricking my own brain. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's funny because as you're saying that, I'm like, yeah, right, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And, I, yeah, I, I think I just have this huge block in my head. Well.
2: <laughs> Give it a try, get back to me, see if it works. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because I can take a canvas and a, or a piece of paper and fill that up. Well, there you go. So, I don't know.
2: That's the same thing, just... Take I, that belly as though it's a piece of paper and fill it up.
1: Except the piece of paper has an opinion about what they <laughs> expect to see. I hate it when they have opinions. <laughs> damn pieces of paper <laughs> know, canvas right. with your yeah. opinions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the paper is watching me while I draw on it.
2: <laughs> yeah. but They're only thinking, oh my God, how could she do this amazing thing? Yeah. Like, that piece of paper is really floored by what you're doing. <laughs> you're doing that freehand? <laughs> exactly. Shut up, paper. <laughs> Shut up, paper.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and your check better not bounce. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's not something I'm ready to face right now.
2: <laughs> well, the other thing that I used to trick myself recently, and it was incredibly helpful, I went to the HENNA conference, um, henna con in California I just got back last, a little bit ago a couple days ago and um, just before I left I had seen this video and I know I've been posting this all over the place because it was so inspiring to me by Elizabeth Gilbert um, she's the one who wrote yeah. eat pray love which yeah. I haven't yeah. read I don't even know if it's a good book but she's a wonderful speaker yeah <clears throat> have you seen this your elusive creative uh, genius
1: I think I might have.
2: So basically she talks about the genius, the word genius as being like this, like sort of sprite or this like entity that is not part of you. That is not a self thing. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And how if you, if when that, so I guess like, I mean, I'm terrible at recall, but I think it was Greek, a Greek word. And they would believe that the genius would sort of enter your body, create this thing through you, and then leave your body. Hmm. And that if it was a total mess, what you created, then you could say, oh, well, the genius (laughs) made me do it. And if it was this wonderful thing you did, you couldn't take all the credit because you had to give some credit to the genius.
3: Right.
2: And then at some point we translated this over to just being about us. And we got this sense of self. And we all, you know, said, well, I'm the genius or that person's the genius. And it became so much more pressure to always be good at something. Yeah. And I listened to this talk and then I started thinking, like, one of the things she says is like, what if we don't have, what if we're not meant to be creative for our entire lives? What if it's something that's just supposed to be there for however long it's there? And I started thinking, like, who would I be if I wasn't an artist? Because that has been me, my entire life. I don't know any other way of being. There was never a question. I mean, when I was in kindergarten, if somebody had asked me what I was going to be as I'm going to be an artist. <laughs> and so what would I be if I wasn't? And it really was a good question to ask. I still don't know the answer. But <laughs> when I was at this conference um, doing henna, I usually get like pretty Nervous before I do henna in front of a bunch of people, um, and I just started saying, "Well, I'm just going to let the genius do it." Mm-hmm. And I think I made the I'm most satisfied with the work I did at that conference out of any work I've ever done in the conference. Wow! And it was just like sort of like, okay, well, I'm just going to allow this to happen and not stress about it. So that helped for me to trick myself into that. I highly le- recommend this this talk it's a ted talk.
1: Oh okay. Yeah, I think maybe I've seen it. I can't remember. Is it a recent one?
2: You know, I guess it isn't because people have been posting that they saw it a couple years ago.
1: Oh okay, maybe that maybe I just need to resee it. Yeah. So I recently read this book by a guy named um I think Stephen Pressfield. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Anyway, the book is called the um War of Art mm. and part of it's a very short book and part of it is is a similar concept of the genius doing it and and his point is was more about procrastination and that you have to be sitting at your desk or at your easel or wherever you do your work for the muse he calls it the muse um or the genius to visit you mm-hmm. but you have to actually be present and you have to have your tools in your hand and ready to go and then you
2: know, let the genius do it. So. Yeah. And that's a, it's interesting because they, they probably have difference of opinion on that. Cause she talks about another story, which I won't go into. Cause I just assume everybody will now go no, listen. Go ahead, go ahead and go
1: into it. Cause I don't recall the, uh, the talk.
2: And, um, well, she says that there was this poet and I don't remember who she's referencing, but that she would be out in the yard and she would feel the genius come into her. And she would like be, running trying to get ahead of the genius so <laughs> she could get to some place to write it down and yeah. that sometimes she would get there and the genius would have passed and she would have just lost it she would have lost that poem yes and she would just say that poem has now gone on to somebody else's pen you know uh-huh.
1: i think that's true as well
2: um i think you know for in whatever re- in whatever way, whether any of it's true or not, I think that you do have to show up. Yeah. You have to put in the work. It's not something that just sort of washes over you and there you go. You know, you and I both get like how yeah. much time and energy goes in training yourself to do what you do.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I, and
1: I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to go off on a tangent. Sorry, go ahead. It's okay. Okay, I'm going to go on my tangent then. Okay. Well, just- <laughs> Um, I read some study where they f- followed musicians and found that I-, I think they it was like a study of people who are considered child prodigies, you know, who are very talented at a young age. And they found that the ones that became successful were the ones that put in the most practice, mm-hmm. you know, put in the largest number of hours of practice. And that shows that you can be a genius or have the genius visit you, but you still have to work at it. You you know, you don't just emerge fully formed and you're done. Like some people would say, you know, Nick's work is genius, but I see the stuff he posts on Facebook. He's always drawing.
2: Right. Exactly.
1: And he's doing the work. He's there at, in his studio working. So
2: exactly. I had a, I um sort of semi mentor and she, she said to me, you know, I go to my studio every day. I go and I sit there for two hours minimum. It doesn't matter if I do anything. Sometimes I just go and sit on the couch and read a book. Sometimes I'll take out something and I'll start working. But I just have to go there.
1: Yeah, you have yeah. to
2: give yourself the opportunity to do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I'm one of these people who I dream designs. Mm -hmm. and you know you might say oh you're so lucky you dream designs well if I'm not drawing regularly and I'm not creating regularly my dreams don't bring me anything it's not Mm -hmm. until I start actually drawing and working that my dreams start to create stuff for me so
2: do you get that thing where it's been doing a lot of henna and you close your eyes you see these like henna patterns that are just like flickering across your vision.
1: I actually don't see them flickering. I see them unfolding. Like I see them start to just build themselves. You know how you sometimes you'll just create a flower from the inside out. That's kind of what I see behind my eyelids.
2: And do you ever try to draw those? Oh, yeah. And they come out?
1: Um, Sometimes. It's usually the dream ones that come out better. Those ones that are behind my eyes are just kind of like, you know, a kaleidoscope that's constantly Mm -hmm. forming designs. So it's, it's so it's hard to capture
2: that's what it's like it's like a kaleidoscope yeah yeah i i i would try to draw them and i would get really frustrated now what i finally realized is that they don't really have a beginning in my when i'm they don't really have a beginning or an end it's sort of like these bits that seem like they would go together but because they're it's not factual it's not like actually visual yeah when I try to draw them they don't they don't make any sense
1: yeah I totally understand
2: <laughs> so frustrating I just want to suck out my brain and put it on paper
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs> someday someday soon that will happen
2: <laughs> oh, anyone, what are we gonna see that'll be scary
1: oh uh, yeah <laughs> but I think that that all of that is kind of good in a way you know to let that stuff just kind of flow past your eyes and um I don't know I'm not sure why I think that's good but it I don't know it doesn't bother me that I can't capture it I just I feel like my brain is maybe creating neural pathways that will allow those things to allow me to create ca- kaleidoscopically
2: yeah sure why not <laughs> yeah <laughs> Maybe makes it's,
1: sense. Maybe it's like my brain is unfolding somehow. I have no idea.
2: <laughs> I'm fine with that. That makes total sense to me.
1: <laughs> good, good, good. Because it makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> so so how how do you like this mentor of yours is spends two hours in the studio. How do you do you have a ritual or a or a habit of going to the studio or how do you, how do you keep your creativity going?
2: Well, I have very few habits because every day is so completely different. I don't have any set, anything. One major habit is probably a cup of tea in the morning. (laughs) Um, And it, one of the things that I do oftentimes is I'll try to make an appointment for something like if I've got a medical something or, you know, haircut or whatever. I'll try to make an appointment sort of in the morning mm-hmm. because I have a tendency to sort of, wall, you know, just sort of wander about like cleaning or organizing or sorting stuff mm-hmm. if I don't sort of get going. Oh, okay. And get and out so of the house. I get out and go to an appointment and then I come back and I feel really rejuvenated to sort of get things going you know, go into, go into my studio. But I mean, I really will hear her voice and I'll just, you know, this mentor, Sharon, and I'll just mm-hmm. say, okay, I guess I'm just going to go down there. You know, if I can get off of Facebook and Ugh. emails and unplug from everything, Yeah, I have a, we have a house policy that we don't have any computers or cell phones or anything in the vast majority of the house. And that's really helpful. We have one room that's sort of the media room, and then we can, you know, then we use it in our in our own personal spaces. Uh-huh. So if I can get out of my room to go down and have that cup of tea, then I get away from the computer. Oh, uh, okay. That's helpful.
1: Yeah, definitely. And do you have any smaller rituals when you do sit down to work? I keep saying rituals. I, I can't find a better word. Um, or just like little... Habits.
2: I don't think I do. I mean I probably do and don't even know that I do. <laughs> um
1: But do you sit down with the intention to draw a thing or do you just sit down and go, uh oh.
2: I sit down, like if I have a piece of paper and a pencil in front of me, I'll sit down and I'll just start moving my hand over the space. And I'll just keep it moving. And at some point it'll make a mark on the page. You know, like I'll just move it over the surface. And then at some point, it'll make a mark on the page. And I'll just sort of let it grow from that point. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of the time, you know, if I'm sitting down, like, I was going to be an illustrator, and I've lost like all of my illustrative skills. But when I was going to college, that's what I wanted to be was an illustrator. And so I would be drawing actual, you know, things. And then of course, that's different, you sort of map them out with and i still use some of those skills like i'll make a big round section where i want there to be you know a large element and mm-hmm. then i'll cut make, it out yeah i'll sort of map out what i'm doing and i'm really a big proponent of sketching mm-hmm. what you're going to do whether it's on the skin with the henna cone or whether it's a pre you know sort of sketch that you do in your own book mm-hmm. i like to one i guess one of my rituals is using really bad materials mm-hmm. <laughs> I find, that, I find that I'm way more creative. I'm, I'm using, like, scrap paper. Yeah. Like, just a regular old pencil.
1: I know. I have a ton of, you know, all these different hardnesses of pencils. And what I usually use is my regular old mechanical pencil.
2: Yeah. Because then there's not pressure. Yeah, it's true. It's just like, okay, You're you not know.
1: You're wasting your precious art supplies.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and I have a hoarding problem, so I don't want to use any of my really good art supplies. <laughs>
1: so are you a perfectionist
2: um i am a recovering perfectionist
1: (laughs) explain
2: i definitely have some profession perfectionistic vents i i am extremely hard on myself i want everything to look right whatever that is Uh um and I'm, yeah, I, I really, I'm not satisfied if it's, if it's not done well.
1: What do you think is what, when you look at something that's not well done, what's, what's usually the culprit? Like, um, is it line quality? Is it layout? What are you hardest on yourself with? Hmm. Like what aspect of your art do you, do you criticize yourself most for?
2: Just, not, just the general not being able to do something that I want to do. I mean, if my hand goes down on the page, I want it to do what my brain tells it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I look at some of the, like, really, really, really fine detailed work that's out there, like Amelia Drakowski, and I just, oh. like, my brain hurts. I, felt, I, know, I
1: love that stuff. I love it and I hate it.
2: <laughs> you know, and I actually don't want to do it because, for me, that's, like, that is so precise. And yeah. there's something that it doesn't call me. It's exquisite. Like, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. But I'm not perfectionistic in that kind of way, where every line has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. It's more about, like, how it flows. I don't like it if it's got, like, a little, like, a kink to it, you know? Mm-hmm. It isn't meant to be there. It doesn't have... a a good feeling towards it, you know? I don't know how to describe it. It's all about feeling. Yeah. So
1: so do you fight the perfectionism?
2: I do. I think that it's one of my sort of, I don't know, I don't like these sort of Catholic terms, but sort of my cross to bear, okay. you know, because I really, really want things to be Sometimes we'll get caught up in wanting things to be a certain way Mm -hmm. and that doesn't really make me happy. So when I can let go of things is when I get them, you know, is when I'm the most relaxed and the most happy and it's when my artwork is the best. Yeah, definitely. You know, if I'm sitting like really hard over a henna piece and I'm like sort of toiling at it, it's not going to look good. Whereas if I just say, well, you know, this is temporary. I'm just going to do what I can do. And then it really looks so much better.
1: Yeah. And it has a flow and and life to it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's really the most important thing is just having some life to it and how, you know, sort of telling a story through this pattern that we do, you know?
1: Yeah. And do you feel a very clear sense of when a design is done
2: i do with henna
1: as opposed to what
2: a lot of my other work i never really felt like it was done like it when i was a painting major i never really felt like any of my paintings were done huh. um but do, with henna i don't know i mean probably because you're working on a very clearly defined space mm-hmm. you know you sort of like you got a hand. Once the hand is filled up, there's not really anywhere to go.
1: And you can't layer on top of it like you can with painting.
2: Yeah. And I do like to layer on top of it if I can get out. You know, if I, I, one of the things I'm most like playing with now that's really fun is layering different sh- quantities of shading. Hmm. That's been really fun. Like, you know, doing a, a light layer of shading underneath and then doing some stippling uh, on it and then doing some larger dots. And that's really fun.
1: It's cool. So do you think that's an influence of painting? Or is it
2: Yeah? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt.
1: No, that's fine. (laughs) Jump right in. (laughs) Are there other other art forms that influence your henna?
2: Well, let's see. I was an illustrator, a photographer, a painter, a sculptor, a metalsmith, a Um, I loved welding, uh, (laughs) a potter and yeah. So all out of all those things, I would say probably the clay has influenced my henna the most and the painting. Huh. It's not the metal. Um, not necessarily. The metal work is so different from henna because the metal work is tedious That's why I stopped doing the the jewelry because it's all, you know, you you solder something and then you have to sand and sand and sand and sand and sand to get it look smooth and like it never was touched. Right. You know, there's so much work that goes into making something look like it just happened. Um, Whereas with henna, it just looks like it just happened.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's done.
2: But with pottery, you know, I was really influenced by, um, tile work and um you know a lot of the uh pattern that people would put on tops of tops of pots i'm still am like a lot of the pregnant bellies that i've been doing recently have been pulled from from pottery
1: oh that's a good way to think of pregnant bellies is just think of yeah plates, bowls or plates Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm taking notes (laughs)
2: Um, so one of the biggest things that I just realized, which is kind of a cool little thing is that everything that I have done, um, the things that have really stuck with me have been the things that have something to do with ritual. And it's funny that you kept saying the word ritual over and over. And I was like, no, no, I don't really have ritual. Um,
1: (laughs) yes, you did seem a little resistant,
2: (laughs) (laughs) but I think, um, I think it's sort of my ritual is sort of like that moment. It's, it's not necessarily like a particular thing that I do each time. It's more just paying attention to every moment that's happening and being as present as I can right then. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I was so drawn towards doing work with the tea ceremony and pottery because it was about creating these vessels that had some sacred part to them. You know, something that was nourishing. <clears throat> and I really loved making bowls particularly because I find that the bowl, just the shape of a bowl is incredibly mm-hmm. nourishing. And yeah. it's something that you can hold in your hand. And it's the most ancient sort of form that we've ever had. You know, whether it be a gourd or a hollowed out piece of rock or like like, a cupped hand. Or a cupped hand. Exactly. Oh, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that that was something that was really... Sort of the most clearly spirit to me, huh. yeah, the most clearly, like you know when you make connection with somebody you you know when you feed somebody, it's just this wonderful thing um and and so being able to offer them something that was made by your own hand was something that was always really important to me. You know, I have a lot of pottery around the house that's all made by people. I don't buy a lot of, you know, com- factory made stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and henna is that same kind of thing. It's that same sort of you're offering something to someone. Yeah. You know, you're giving them this moment to slow down, this moment to just acknowledge beauty and this, this, that, that there's nothing that's really more important than what's happening at this particular time. And I love that with, you know, it's one of the things about festival work. It's like, you can get somebody they've got their two kids, they've been crying, they're having fun, they're not having fun, whatever. And they come in and they're just like, it's mommy time right now. I'm just going to take a few minutes to get this thing for myself. And they just let, they just let themselves be there in that moment.
1: Yeah, and their experience—what they're buying from you—is a design, but also that
2: that experience, that moment,
1: that presence. Yeah,
2: and so I try to offer that in every henna that I do—that experience, that moment. Um,
1: do you set and, that intention, or do you, is it just a very natural thing?
2: I you think I do set them? that intention. If I'm noticing that I'm starting to get annoyed or I'm starting to get tired, I will just sort of regroup. I'll take a nice deep breath. I'm very, you know, it's very much about the breath for me. Mm -hmm. Just let it out and sort of get back to center. And I, I think that that is beyond anything. What I love the most about henna is that you're sort of offering this thing, this moment to people. You're offering this time for them to, settle down into themselves. And also I get such a charge from somebody who walks into my booth and they sit down and they put their hand down. They're like, I have such ugly hands. And you know, they put their hand down anyway, and they want me to adorn it. Mm -hmm. And I put this pattern on and they're looking with amazement and they lift up their hand and the look on their face is just so cherishing and they love what they're seeing. You know, and it's their own hand that they've had so many negative comments about and they just get to walk around setting, you know, these good intentions, these positive things towards their own bodies. We have such bad, bad body images. Yeah. And so when you're able to offer somebody a chance to look at themselves and see beauty, uh, that's powerful.
1: And that's the cool thing about henna. Like it's not like clothing or makeup where you kind of cover up or, you know, cloak something. It's part of, it becomes part of your skin. It is your skin and it goes away as your skin exfoliates. So, you know, it really is part of your beauty.
2: Yeah, exactly. And you're bringing attention to that spot. Yeah. Definitely. You know, and, you know, other people are going to ask questions. It's yep, yep. You know, I love that it's teaching as yeah. well you know, somebody comes along and they're like, why did you get that? What is that thing? And the person has a story. Yeah. And it's always, you know, people always come up into the booth and they say, oh, I've got a real one, you know, and I say yeah. to them, okay, so if they're being really annoying, because I get a little like, I like to push people a little bit in my booth, <laughs> like in a goofing way, you know, and I'll sort of check out the crowd, see if they can handle it or not, but I'll get a little devilish and I'll just sort of say, so what did you have for breakfast this morning? And they'll be like, oh, I had an egg McMuffin sandwich. And I say, oh, yeah, was it good? And they're like, yeah. I was like, well, is it, was it real? And they're like, well, yeah, of course it was real. Well, Do you still have it? No. <laughs> I'm like, well, then, you know, what's the difference between your egg McMuffin sandwich and this henna I'm doing? <laughs> you it's know? all real,
1: really? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people have asked me that. They're like, is that real? And I'm like, you can touch it and see if it's real.
2: Right, Exactly. Or
1: I poke at the person's skin. And I'm like, yep, that's real. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No illusion here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what you say is funny um, about how it draws attention to this part of their body. Like they come in thinking, Oh, I'm going to hide this. I'm going mm-hmm. to use henna to disguise my body. Mm. And, and you're right. It actually draws people's attention to it more so. Like I had a client, she said she had ugly toes And she wanted to cover them up. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) If that's what you want to think. And uh, she emailed me a few days later. This man stopped me in the street and told me what beautiful feet I have.
2: Oh, see, that's awesome. I love that.
1: And her feet were fine. You know, she just had it in her head that she had ugly feet.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. I never forgot. I don't know why this story just popped into my head. It had some relevance, but it oh. doesn't matter if it doesn't <laughs> we'll probably edit this one out. But <laughs> <Tell me. laughs> when I was first starting with henna, I got all these designs from like some African book. And I had all these really cool African designs in my book. And I have no idea what part of Africa I, I was totally starting out. And I just went and looked at patterns. And I did this big design on this guy's arm at like probably the third party I ever went to. Mm-hmm. Oh. And I saw him a week later. And he was like, he's like, you know that design you did on my arm? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I got teased about that for a long time. And I was like, why? He's like, it was a giant vulva. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he doesn't like vulvas?
2: Apparently, at the office, that was just not something you should be wearing at work.
1: That's like a straight man's badge. Like, I love vulvas, (laughs) and here's proof.
2: Oh. (laughs) That's awesome. Slightly mortified. (laughs) Uh, That's
1: Uh. awesome. (laughs) So, um,. So is it, do you have any other kind of mental or emotional prep before you go into a gig? And, and is it different depending on the kind of gig?
2: It is. Um, I don't think too much about it before I go. Like, I tend to get something. I'll put it in my calendar, and I won't think anything else about it until I actually am like, "Oh, I'm going out the door in half an hour," and, and I rush around and I put everything in my bag and I head out the door and I'm like, "Okay, now where am I going?" You know, and while I'm you know getting ready, settled in the car, I'll put on you know my GPS, which is named Lady Grace, and she always <laughs> takes me where I need to go. Oh. <laughs> and I just sort of head out. So I don't give myself too much time to think. And I think that's on purpose because I I tend to get nervous just before I go to anything where there's going to be new people. Um, It's just silly because once I get in the door, I just talk it up and I'm totally fine. But there's just this little pre-nervousness. You know, it was like before this conversation, I was like, oh, no, what am I going to (laughs) say? Me too. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I think I just try to like block that block out that I'm even going to be doing this thing where I'm going to be on display or whatever, right. you know. And I also when I'm at the gig, I try to uh sort of skirt them focusing on me cuz I feel like I want this to be about their party.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, so I don't want to talk about anything to do with myself while I'm there. I you know, they'll ask me a question and I'll sort of calmly sort of turn around and ask them about themselves, which people are usually fine with. Yeah, yeah. And they'll get talking. But, um, yeah, I mean, basically I've just got my gig bag and I head out the door and I go. If it's a pregnant belly or something that I care more about, if it's, you know, a bridal work or something like that. Well, no, not even the bridal work. Um, if it's a pregnant belly, those are the ones I care the most about. Why is that? Um it's so intimate. You know, you're sitting with this person who's going through all these emotions and so much is changing in their lives and they've got this other human being inside them. And I've come, you know, up to people like the last show that I did last festival I did had 3 of the women who had done henna on their bellies come up to me at the festival and introduce me to their babies Aww. and say, you know, you were inside when she was doing work on me and I swear they know who I am. You know, it's like, I'm sitting there in between their mom's legs. <laughs> like I always say to the, you know, the women, I'm like, okay, we're going to do a test run on giving birth. Cause I'm getting nice and close and personal, you know? And that, you know, they're just, it's just the two of us and we're talking about what they're going through and how, you know, their bodies are feeling and the fact that they're bringing somebody into the world is pretty miraculous. Yeah. So it feels really like a blessing to be part of that. I I feel like it's a blessing to be part of most of the kind of work that I do, you know, as most henna artists probably do. You know, you're walking yeah. into somebody's celebration. Yeah. It's like. It's a life changing event for whoever you're walking in, whatever it is, you know, whether it's a 13 year old's birthday party or whether it's a wedding or whether it's, you know, a bat mitzvah. You're going into this this shift in their life, something they're going to remember forever.
1: And even if it's not a momentous occasion, occasion like I did a ten-year-old's um, birthday party the other day, it's something that they'll remember. The henna makes it memorable. You know, you're kind of you're repping for henna.
2: Yes, and that's what I always say about is it real? You know, <laughs> well, it doesn't last, and it's and I always say, well, it does last. It's just not on the skin. Yeah, you know, my yeah, newest thing over the last couple of years when I'm doing the library program because I do this library tour in Connecticut,
3: mm-hmm.
2: is I'll say to the kids, so is actually permanent. And they'll <laughs> be like, what? And I, it's permanent. It's just on a part of your body that isn't going to stay on your body.
1: <laughs> isn't that cool? That's great.
2: And then they get to start to think about how their bodies work. You know, it sort of brings them back into that reality of the, the fact that they're living in something, yeah, you know?
1: <laughs> That's a great way of thinking of it. <laughs> um, so this is a very known question. I'm sure you'd, you'd know it um, just from the nature. He said um, he wants to know how your work as a henna artist has interfaced with your spiritual and your, or your faith path. So, is there communication or or I'm sorry, is there a connection between those two?
2: I consider myself agnostic. Uh-huh. So, I don't know that I don't know that there's something that I don't know.
1: <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I don't know that I don't know that there's something I don't know, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha.
2: I basically, you know, it's like my biological dad is Jewish. I was not considered Jewish because it's my dad and not my mom. Right. Which right. Is a Very outdated, silly rule. <laughs> um, but my grandparents sort of kept my that part of my religion away from me. And my mom married my stepdad when I was five. And he was a like, he's my dad um, as well. And he's an Episcopal priest. So I had church on Sunday, and then I'd go, you know, or I have Shabbat on Friday, and then I'd have church on Sunday. And my mom, I would consider pagan. She's she was very involved with the church, but she's a lot more sort of goddess centered and a lot more sort of old school religion, like really old school religion. <laughs> So I sort of got raised with this idea that religion is this thing that people decide, and who really knows what it is. Yeah. yeah. And I would get into conversations with my stepdad about Jesus, and I would be like, I have no jack doubt that Jesus existed. I'm sure he was a really cool dude, you know? <laughs> like, but I don't really get how the Son of God is the son of God, but we're all supposed to be children of God. Like, where's the connection? <laughs> so
1: he's your brother.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly. And, you know, I do think that there are spiritual leaders and I do think there are people that work on a realm, in a realm that is, you know, I mean, I, I think we're all made up of energy and I think we're all that energy is connected. We're like a big amoeba. And so when I go and touch somebody and their their energy becomes happier energy, this sounds so hokey, their energy becomes happier energy, then that spreads out to the world. And I think that everything that we do both has impact and doesn't have impact. I think we give things far too much meaning. And at the same time... You know, I mean yeah, I just I all of my views totally contradict each other.
1: <laughs> That's the duality of the na- of the universe, man.
2: That's right. I just I don't know. I don't know. I'm That's sure cool. that somebody has That's a
1: good place to start.
2: Yeah. So what was the question? <laughs>
1: No, no, no. This is cool. This is cool. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he was asking if your work as a henna artist interfaced with your spiritual path. And so I guess what you've been trying to say is what your spiritual path isn't. So do you have a spiritual path?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess it would be most closely related to the Buddhist just being the moment, you know. Just really... I just think that it's possible that this is all a big dream <laughs> and we might as well just do what we're going to do next. And we don't really have that much control over things. And yeah. so all we really have is just sort of living what, what's happening. Like here it is. It's
1: the presence. It's that presence that you were talking about.
2: Oh. Yeah. It's just now. It's just this now place. And the second you say now it's now again, it's yeah, somewhere else, yeah. you know? Now it's never. Um, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think that with henna, it's what I love is that it is temporary. It's something that's happening and it's not happening, and just like everything. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> and not that there isn't serious things that should be addressed. I mean, the world is pretty messed up. But I don't think that we fix it by praying to God. Yeah. Or
1: imposing a a dogma.
2: Yeah. And I don't think that any religion has it right. And I don't think that any religion doesn't have it. I mean, there are some places that religion most likely has it right. But who am I to say? Yeah. No, I'm just this... Check who lives in Portland, Maine, and does that. <laughs> <on> all the
1: people. <laughs> yeah, but that's also a very Buddhist thing. Like you're just doing your part in the way that you know how to do, and not really worrying about, you know, imposing that on others. And I don't
2: know. Yeah, I don't want to judge what other people are doing. I would really like it if people were nice to each other. <laughs> I, I like don't. this religion. <laughs> I get really, really mad when people are not nice to animals. I have no, absolutely zero tolerance for that. You know, for years, I guess I considered myself a pagan just because it most closely connected with my, how I feel in nature. If I'm out in the ocean, that is the most spiritual feeling to me. When I'm looking at the mountains or I'm, you know, surrounded by these jumbo trees in the mere woods. <laughs> you know, that's that's when I feel the most sort of like, yeah, this must be what it is.
1: Yeah. And yet even paganism has dogma. And
2: oh, exactly. Rules
1: and books and whatnot. Most of the I-
2: pagans that I met are kind of wacky. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I think they're trying to fit it into a uh, kind of modern concept of belief yeah, instead of just being
2: yeah there was this one woman who came over Emma I have a book by her I cannot remember her last name but she was an English pagan and she had been oh I don't know if they call it ordained or Mm -hmm. what by the pagan tradition in England and of course in Britain it's very different than here you know it's it's a religion it's considered a religion yeah and here, it's like, if you're not Christian, you don't belong. Um, which kind of leaves out the vast
1: majority
2: of people. Here.
1: Exactly. So,
2: um, but the way she did it made sense to me. And it was just, she was just very pragmatic, you know. She oh, so. saw fire as being alive and she's like, I'm not going to make fire come alive. Like, it is alive. I'm just going to ask it to be here. Huh. Made sense to me, but even that I just didn't hold on to for very long. And I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm missing out. Sometimes I'm like, "Oh no, you know, maybe I should be born again."
1: <laughs> <laughs> born again agnostic.
2: Yes, yeah, so I'll be a born again agnostic. <laughs> or not. <laughs> I think
1: I'll just be here now.
2: I mean, I have my rituals, you know, like I like candles and I love incense and I'm sketching is wonderful and snuggling with people. Those are my rituals. Dancing. I love to dance. I love yoga.
1: Those are some pretty awesome rituals.
2: Yeah. so. Drinking wine is really good. What? <laughs> Drinking wine is really good.
1: <laughs> Those are good non-denominational rituals. I like that. So I guess that answers Noam's question about how your faith is interfaced with your henna work?
2: I don't know. I feel like it was a very long rambling, not answering no, that question. Well, I
1: don't know. I mean, I guess it, it works a lot easier if you have a thing that has a name that we all recognize and we can all ascribe attributes to, and then you connect that to your henna. But, um, you know, things aren't that easy. I don't think I could answer it any better.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, What this is kind of getting a little more back to earth. Um, what do you think the future of henna is? Mm. And then, what do you wish it could be, or what do you think it could be?
2: Well, I mean, it just in the last like I think probably five years, it's shifted so dramatically in this country, yeah. And I include Canada in that (laughs) sort of. As well. Um,
1: America's hat.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, we're all coming together so much and yeah. learning from each other. And the stakes, the standards have just gotten risen. I mean, that bar is high. Yeah, I know. The number of pen artists that are out there. And they are incredible. Yes. Yeah. People are doing stuff that people never thought of five years ago. So true. You know. And I just see... My hope is that henna will become recognized for the art form that it is. It's, it's a technically complicated thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful art form. I think of it sort of like watercolor and, you know, uh, like, like pottery. It's sort of this beautiful art form that moves and it has life. And I would like people to recognize it. And I think that the real hang-up is the impermanence of it. Hmm.
1: Um, That's interesting. But... What about like Ikebana or...
2: Yeah, exactly. Like Wabi Sabi. Pardon me? Wabi Sabi? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or, you know, the stuff that Andrew Goldsworthy does.
2: Oh, my God. I was going to bring up Andrew Goldsworthy. He's so amazing. I know.
1: I just saw something by him, a whole room of cracked paint walls.
2: Oh, see, that's (laughs) spiritual to me. Yeah. It's it's like his work is spiritual to me. That's that's what it is. You know, it's just that moment. It's just so right there in that moment. Yeah. Working hard to create this thing that is beauty and at the same time is temporary. I love that. Yeah. I saw this one artist, the show in Portland, um, we have a really great gallery. It um, brings in a lot of different artists and there's one Japanese artist who came in I, and they did um, stains that had molded. So they took these Aww. things of like coffee, Or cranberry juice or tea or like all these different things. And they put them on paper and they allowed them to mold. (sighs) And then they encapsulated them in this glass. uh, And you could see this mold. And I was just like, who knew mold could be so beautiful? (laughs) That's
3: amazing.
2: You know, so I would like henna to be revered that same way. You know, like Andrew Goldsworthy and like mold.
1: <laughs> cool. <laughs> There's this really cool thing in China. My friend uh, was there and took photos of it. These guys who use these—they're um, almost like mops, but they're calligraphy brushes. Oh yeah. And they do—they do it on the pavement with water. They just use this okay. mop as a brush to draw calligraphy on the pavement, and. You know, they just sit there and do that all day. And then as soon as the water evaporates, the calligraphy is gone. And so, you know, they're they're writing along. And then by the time they finish, the first stuff is already gone.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Like the people who do well, the people who do sand work out at the ocean. That stuff's amazing.
1: Yeah. That stuff's cool, too.
2: But then also the Tibetan monks doing the sand paintings, those huge mandalas.
1: Yeah. And then the point is is to destroy it.
2: Yeah, to spread it out into the world. We had a monk come to our college because we had a, um, one of my instructors, Dana Sawyer, was uh, on a collaborative with this monastery. um, And he had one of the monks come over and do a sand painting. And they did this huge sand painting. And then they scooped it all up and walked it down to the ocean and prayed and sent it out into the world as a healing. That's amazing. So that's it. Sending Henna out into the world is a healing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so that's what you think the future of Henna
2: is. <laughs> um, the future of Henna. I now, mean, is going back to Noam's conversation. Um,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fine.
2: <laughs> uh, the future of Henna. I don't. I don't think that it has any bounds. I mean, um, hopefully, people will stay kind to each other as they become more and more Henna artists, yeah. and people will work together instead of getting, you know nasty about something or some other, whatever.
1: That's not the word I was going to use, but good.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I try to stay
2: out of that. You yeah, know. you do. Um, and it's not that I don't care. It's just, I don't think anybody is ever right. If they have, if there's two people involved in a situation, yeah. you know?
1: And then you get pulled into that. Show. Yeah,
2: exactly. And so... I really hope that people continue to work together. And, you know, I love that there are conferences that really talk about sharing and working together. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of henna artists are going to start doing things that's already happened. You know, there's a lot of us who do henna style things on, uh, you know, different materials. And I hope those things become our, I I hate it when somebody goes and gets this crap box. And I think Rebecca did a class on this just recently, but they go and get this crap box and it's ugly and they put henna on it and it's still ugly because it's not going to be pretty.
1: Yeah.
2: It's, It's junk. Yeah. And so I would like to see people doing their talent in places that matter and validating that they have talent. Yeah. That's important. Who
1: would you like to see me interview?
2: You've interviewed a number of my favorite people already. Oh. <laughs> of course I can't say Nick and Rebecca.
1: Yes.
2: <laughs> and um, but I think the people um and Harold's was really great. I learned about Heron D- Dalal. Yes.
1: Yeah.
2: And he's just amazing. I know. I was such that an eye
1: opener so- for me. I love that.
2: Um I would definitely Love for you to interview Melinda from Mountain Mendy. Okay. She does these dragons that are, I mean, her shading work is just amazing. All of her work is amazing. I'm really inspired by her. Um, Ildiko, without a doubt, would be the number one person that I'd like to hear from because she's the biggest person who's influenced my work. Uh, Yeah, you guys
1: are like the the twin sons of Belly Henna. Oh,
2: my God. (laughs) The fact that you just said that is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's true. But I but I'm she's she's mind bogglingly good. Yeah, um, she
0: is.
2: Christy McCurry is really taking henna to where I think it's gonna go. Like I was saying, like I think people are gonna start to be henna artists but then take it out and do other things with it. Is she
1: henna trails?
2: No, she's Henna Trails. Oh, did you say Trails? Yes. Yes, Henna
1: Trails. Yeah, I was just looking at her stuff on uh, on Pinterest before I called you, and I was like, yeah. oh, so her stuff is really sculptural. and
2: Yeah, it's really interesting, yeah, like very stuff uh, stuff fiery. And, uh,
1: yeah, and she's making these kind of, um, uh, I don't know. She She does Henna on things, but the things become – Bigger than the just the thing and the henna. I don't know. I, they become it's almost that, a ritual objects. Say that again. They become almost ritual objects.
2: Yeah, it's that everyday ritual. Yeah, it's the bowl. It's like the ceramic bowl. Exactly. It's yeah, if you yeah. use. I think that something is more powerful if you use it every day. If yeah. it's a, you know, it's that's that's the place that is the most powerful. Is the everyday ritual.
1: Yeah. Um, anyone else for that list?
2: Sarah Henna? I yeah, don't yeah. even know what her name is.
1: Uh, Sarah Walters.
2: She's got some really beautiful work.
1: Yeah, I have been, I kind of forget people's names and I just remember their work. And I and I finally started to realize like all this bridal stuff that I really like is all by Sarah. So um, yeah. Yeah. I actually have her lined up for um, like this bridal. Q&A thing that I'm doing so I'm talking to her in two days So awesome yeah
2: and have you heard of Amanda Crane Manny
1: yeah she's, yeah definitely
2: she's oh her work is so beautiful cool. really add her
1: to the list I'm sure like again I'm I have a really bad time uh, trying to connect the name to the work but so I'll have to look that up but I definitely know the name and I pro- and I'm pretty sure I know the work I just have to put them together
2: She's really like she she doesn't think she's any good, but she's <laughs> full of crap. <laughs> and nice. Deborah Bromer, I'd love it if you inter interview her, that would be a really fun interview.
1: Who was the last name you said?
2: Deborah Bromer.
1: Oh yeah. She's also on And
2: How her work can you know combines with the body painting stuff? Because I did face painting before I did henna. And so it's really fascinating the people who go from henna to face painting or body painting.
1: Yeah. I also want to interview Bridget, who is a tattoo artist now.
2: Mm -hmm. Yep. So
1: lots of interesting crossovers. Well, that's a good list of people.
2: Yeah, I'm sure if I thought about it more, I would get a but i'm sure you have a long list. Yeah,
1: this it's so funny cuz i wrote up this exhaustive list and then every time i interview somebody they tell me new people i'm like, "Oh my god, i'm going to be at this forever." <laughs> yeah. But that's cool cuz every time i interview somebody i learn something that's helpful to me. So if only for selfish reasons, i'm getting so much out of it. <laughs>
2: yeah. And i want you to be interviewed too. I know i'm just <laughs> jumping on the bandwagon, but i totally agree. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that's not definitive enough.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you have to, like, somebody else has to figure out how to do podcasting and do it.
2: I Be- could do that.
1: <laughs> okay. I, there's your a, challenge. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, maybe.
2: <laughs>
1: but I have a lot. Maybe once I finish interviewing everybody else, then then I'll do that. <laughs> okay.
2: I think you shouldn't wait because there's a long list and you'll never get to yourself. Exactly. Hey.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So this has been really awesome. I, um, just like with Rebecca, I met both of you guys at the retreat last year and I was just like in for a day and out the next day. And I don't know. I was so underslept. I, you know, like I, I could recognize your faces in a crowd, but that's about it. And, um, so I'm glad I got to interview both of you and actually get to know you, at least through the interview. Yeah,
2: it's really sweet.
1: Yeah, I love it. So,
2: Well, uh, I've been, you know, watching you for years, so. Aww. I've been like, oh, Kenzie.
1: Aww. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I'm glad you weren't too nervous.
2: Oh, I was nervous. But.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rebecca was too, so.
2: But thank you so much for doing these. And I love what you say at the beginning. It's just this wonderful introduction. I just wanted to let you know that that's something I really appreciate about your podcast is that you have this little, like, self, like, this is what I've been up to. And it's like, (laughs) I'm always like, oh, cool. What else is she doing?
1: Oh, that's good. I always feel it's very self-indulgent.
2: No, it's great. Because you always sort of have a little message, you know, it's very... It's very helpful. I like it.
1: Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, henna is definitely therapy for me. I learned so much about myself through doing henna. And then interviewing people is also just, I don't know, it's really opening up so many pathways in my thinking about henna and about myself. It's been really great. So, well,
2: it's brilliant that you decide to do this. Oh, this is, thank you. Who knew? I mean, I, I would love to of
1: this. I just had this very very vague feeling, like maybe people would want to hear from other henna artists. I don't know. Let me see. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of amazed that it it's actually got uh, it's got an audience. It's pretty mm-hmm. astounding.
2: Oh, I want to add other people to my list.
1: Okay, <laughs> I have room on my paper. Go ahead.
2: Okay, I want to add Rh- Wendy Rover. Yeah. Um, and I want to add Kelly. Um, who Rebecca already added, Yeah, Flarity? Flaherty? Flaherty, Yes. Flaherty. She's, she's really, really talented.
1: Cool. Oh my God, this list.
2: <laughs> who else do you have? I'm curious.
1: Um, well I have, um, lined up. I have Cree, Rifat, um, oh. Amelia, um, and then for this bridal Q and A, I have Sumeya, Sarah, Rifat, and Darcy. Oh, Karen! Oh yeah. Kieran
2: Zahib definitely
1: needs to yeah. be on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I can't even think of who I have on my list because I, you know, I get I get more and more people added to it. But yeah, people have definitely mentioned Um, Eldico and Sarah and Deb and Wendy. Kelly and um, I don't know it's a long list, <laughs> so yeah, and i think i've re- i've uh i'm I've almost exhausted all the people that I know personally, so now I'm gonna have to like go way outside of my comfort zone and start interviewing people I don't know at all.
2: But so many of them are just going to be sweet as anything, you know? I'm
1: sure. I'm sure. And everyone's got stories, that's for sure. It is different. I'm
2: sure it is. Yeah. Not that personal thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. This was fun. You make it so easy. (laughs) I hope I didn't sound like a total idiot, though.
1: No, not at all. That's fascinating. (laughs) If you noticed, I was just sitting there quietly, like, soaking it
2: all in. (laughs) Oh. Every time you talk, I'd interrupt, so. <laughs> nah.
1: I don't know. that It just happens. When you can't see each other, it's hard not to interrupt each other. So, right. But I think it sounded okay.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. That'll be really fun. Yeah, again. <laughs> right.
1: Okay, well, I'll see you in a couple weeks.
2: Okay, sounds good.
1: Okay, thanks again, Nev. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to my chat with Nev. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I also want to thank you all for your financial support. I recently put out a call for donations to help me purchase new equipment to help expand the podcast. I was really surprised with the generosity of my listeners and I really, really appreciate your support. I will do my best to live up to your faith in me. Some of you have suggested I do a live Google hangout as part of the podcast. Um, I have been thinking about this for a long time. If anybody has any advice or knows the process really well and wants to help me out, please email me and let me know. I could really use some advice. Thanks as always to Nash Karam for the awesome photos and to Shlomi Cohen for the intro and outro music for this podcast. I appreciate all your creative creativity and support. Thanks everyone for listening and I'll see you next episode. Bye.
3: Why? He's like, it was a giant vulva.